can go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to Redemption Church. A lot of new faces, a lot of new friends. Let me introduce myself. My name is Byron. I get the great privilege and honor to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. I want to give a special thank you to all the moms in the room. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mamas in the room today. We are so grateful for you because without you, none of us would be here, literally. But um. But hey, in honor of Mother's Day, um, I just want to give a special shout out to my amazing, beautiful, incredible, awesome mom of a wife, Ashley. Ashley is such an amazing mom. Guys, take notes because you're going to be doing this when you get in the car. You're going to be like, oh, baby, you are the best mom in the world. Just helping the guys out. So, so Ashley is an incredible mom. Uh, my daughters, they're like, they just love Ashley's and the way that she cooks scrambled eggs. Like there's something about the way that she cooks scrambled eggs. I can't do it. They're like, dad, your eggs are nasty. I want, I want, it, I want, I want mom's scrambled eggs. What's the secret? It's butter and cheese. That's it. Just a stick of butter in those scrambled eggs. But, but that's what moms are. Moms are chefs. Moms are executives. Moms are doctors. They're therapists. Moms, they do everything. And we are so grateful for all of the amazing moms that are in our lives. Amen. Amen. And while Ashley is an amazing mom, there is one area that we really didn't do a very good job at. And that is at managing our expectations of what being a parent is like. I remember whenever we were, you know, waiting for our, our daughters to arrive and we were praying and believing that God was going to answer our prayers and give us a child, we would walk through Target and we would see other moms struggling. And whenever they would struggle, we'd look at them and say, whenever we become parents, that ain't never going to happen to us. We'd be going through Target and a kid would be having a nuclear meltdown and we'd just be like, not my kid, not my problem. Whenever I become a parent, anybody ever say that? It's always people who don't have kids who say, whenever I have kids, this is what I'm going to do. But we were like, our kids would never act like that. No, our kids, they're going to be perfect whenever we have kids. I mean, we are going to, we're, we're, gonna, we're not even going to have a TV. There's like no screen time in our home. We're all just going to sit in the living room, and we're just going to discuss philosophy and theology, and we're just going to read books with one another. I mean, whenever we have kids, our kids are not going to eat anything fast food. No, everything's going to be homemade, non-GMO, organic, farm-to-table, gluten-free, fun-free food. That's all our kids are going to eat. We would never let our kids act that way. And we had the audacity to believe that whenever we had kids, we were going to have cloth diapers. We, we really, we're like, we're like researching all the cloth diapers. I mean, we were so crunchy. You could put us in a bowl of like grape nuts or something. That's how crunchy we were planning on going. And we're like, we're going to have cloth diapers whenever, whenever we become parents until we brought our kids home and that first new baby poop. <laughs> you ever seen that first new baby poop? I don't even think that's human. Like that's from like some other planet. It's like black tar and it gets all over the place. And we were like, somebody please pass the huggies. Like that's how quick our perception of parenthood straight up went out the window. Now, whenever, if you saw us yesterday, me and the girls, we were trying to go through Target to get our homemade gift, and like the kids don't even have shoes. There's an iPad in one hand, there's chicken nuggets in the other hand, and we're walking through Target, and they're trying to grab everything off the aisle. I'm like, listen, please, if we could just get out of here, I will give you anything that you want. The whole store, it's yours. Let's just get out of here without having a nuclear meltdown. And then we got home, and kids did you not, when I left this morning to drive to church, my daughter Esther, her shoe that she was wearing at Target was sitting beside my car. <laughs> my expectations of being a parent is just, just didn't live up to the expectations that we, we had. Now, Ashley's an amazing mom, but sometimes our expectations don't always meet reality. Some people, you know, you find yourself just where we're at, is that, that parenthood didn't go the way that we planned. But sometimes in life, life doesn't go the way that we planned. How many of you, 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 re you realize that? That life doesn't always go the way that, that you plan. 
Well, that's the same place that many of you find yourselves in. You find yourselves here today at church in a circumstance or a season or a situation in life that you didn't plan. You had your plan, you prepared it, you had your expectations, and in reality, it didn't meet the expectations that you had. Some of you, you come here and there is hurt or there is frustration or there is disappointment, whether in yourself, whether in somebody else, or maybe even disappointment in God because your life has not gone the way that you planned and you find yourself at home or in your car praying and crying out saying, God, I didn't think life was going to be this way. I didn't plan for life to go this way. God, why is this happening? God, where are you at? God, what are you doing? Because I didn't expect life to be this way. How many of you know that life doesn't always go the way that you planned? If you find yourself in a season or a situation where life is not the way that you planned, guess what? You're in good company because that's the same place that David finds himself in in 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 14. The sermon title today is called When Life Doesn't Go As Planned. If you're taking notes, go ahead and pull out your note sheet. We're a note-taking, Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving church up in this place. So pull out your note sheet. I'm going to read it all, and then I'm going to give you five words of encouragement, five things to do when life doesn't go the way that you planned. Let's read all up front. Verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Last week we saw the spirit of the Lord fell upon David as he's anointed for king. And then the previous king, Saul, we see the spirit of the Lord departs from him and a harmful spirit from the Lord began to torment him. And Saul's servants said to him, behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord, now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. That's like a, a guitar, a harp, a stringed instrument. David's out in the fields, little country boy from Bethlehem. He's playing the banjo. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite who is skilled in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David to his son Saul. And David came to Saul and he entered into his service and Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my presence for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit of God was upon Saul, David took out the banjo and played it it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed was well, and the harmful spirits departed from him. Now, if you missed last week's message, let me go ahead and catch you up to speed. You can actually listen to that online. You can go to YouTube or to our Spotify, and you can catch up as we kicked off this series. But where we find ourselves is at the very beginning of King David's life. Last week, Saul, who was the king, he had the kingdom taken away and the spirit of God was removed from him because of his disobedience, because of his rebellion, and because he lived an unrepentant life and his heart was not in following after God, but his heart was following after what he wanted. And so God said, I'm gonna select a new king. And this king is not gonna be like the other kings. It's not gonna be like a king that you think. It's not the king that you would look for. It's not even the king that you would expect. I'm gonna choose someone who is not about his agenda, but is after my own heart. And so God sent a prophet named Samuel, and he goes into Bethlehem, and he goes up to Jesse's house, and he says, Jesse, the Lord has sent me here to select one of your sons to be the future king of Israel. And so Jesse, he gets all of his sons, and he lines them up. And Samuel goes down the list, and he goes to the first son, he says, surely this must be the king. And God says, nope, that's not my guy. So he goes down to the next one. This is the king. And he says, nope, not my guy. And he goes to the next one. This is the king. And he says, still not my guy. And so Samuel goes down all of Jesse's sons except for one. They threw a party to see who the future king is going to be. And he didn't even invite all of his kids. 
He says, is there another son? Do you got another son? And he says, oh, there's one more. He's out in the back. He's taking care of the sheep. He's in the fields. He's really not that big of a deal. He's the runt of the litter. Nobody pays attention to him anyway. He's not, he's not that special. And Samuel says, we're not going to eat dinner until you go get your youngest son. And Jesse goes and he gets David from the fields. He comes into his father's house and God says, this is the anointed one. And so Samuel takes out his oil, pours it over David's head. And David is anointed the future king of Israel. That's where the story left off last week. And for most of us, whenever we hear this, what we think is this, is that David immediately became the king of Israel. But that's actually not what happened. Is that David didn't immediately become the king of Israel. Instead, David had to enter into a season of waiting. David had to enter into a season of preparation, a season of development, a season of being overlooked, a season of frustration in his life. Most of us think that the moment that something sets us up for success, then that success is instant, it is immediate, and it is something that we receive in that moment. But that's not the way that life always works. For David, life didn't always go the way that he planned. David was going to have to wait. David was going to have to be developed. David was going to have to prepare. And it was in that moment and it was in those seasons of waiting that God began to do the deepest and greatest work in his life. For many of you, you find yourself in a season of, of life not going the way that you planned. You find yourself where you got married and then all of a sudden you realize, I didn't think marriage was going to be this way. Right, you were expecting to go on a honeymoon or to go on a vacation and all of a sudden you find yourself in couples therapy. Or maybe you, you went for a routine regular doctor checkup and then all of a sudden there was a problem, there was a medical diagnosis, maybe they said it was cancer, or maybe it was lupus, or maybe it was some other pain in your life. Maybe it's with a job, you, you worked hard and you moved yourself up the corporate ladder and then all of a sudden, well, now they're going to be rearranging the business and your position is no longer offered to you. Or maybe it's a mom and, and, and you, you, you're excited and you've been praying and then all of a sudden it's a, it's a miscarriage. One out of four women have it and so if that's you, I want you to know that you're not alone in that. Me and Ashley also have, have gone through that pain and that grief as well where you feel like life doesn't always just go the way that you, that you planned. You didn't expect to be where you're at or going through the things that you're going through. Or maybe it's college. Maybe you, you worked hard, you studied well, you got a nice GPA, you graduated, you thought you were gonna get your dream job and now you move back to Beaumont and it's been five years and you're still working for minimum wage. Life doesn't always go the way that you planned. Anybody feel that? Anybody experience that? Okay, well, the Bible tells us that in this life, we can actually expect that. Is that life doesn't always go the way that we planned. But for those of you who are in that situation, I want you to learn this lesson from the life of David. Is that delays are not God's denials. That even though you find yourself in that situation, even though you find yourself in that season or that circumstance, the delays of your life do not mean that God has denied his plan for your life. David is still the king. God didn't remove the kingship from David. God is not removing the dreams or the promises from your heart. It's just gonna take a little bit longer than you thought that it would. David still has the anointing of God on his life. The, the, the delays in his life do not equal the denials of God's promises for his life. And I want you to understand something, that even in the season that you're in, the delay that is happening to you does not necessarily mean that God has removed his hand from you, that God has forgotten you, that God has abandoned you, that God has denied you. No, because the delays in life do not equal a denial coming from God. And so for those of you who are in this season of, of waiting, of preparation, of, of anticipation and frustration, I want to give you some words of encouragement from the life of David on what you do when life doesn't go the way that you planned. The first thing that we do when life doesn't go the way that we plan is this, is he tells us to, to be patient. Listen, I hate patience. 
right? I know it's a fruit of the spirit, but my, you know, my orchard is out, right? I mean, in the produce section of my heart, patience, the fruit of the spirit, there might be some in the back. It might be a little bit rotten and you don't want to dig it home and eat it for lunch, but I lack the, 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 the fruit of patience in my life. I hate waiting. Like I'm the guy who yells at a microwave because it takes too long. True story, I eat oatmeal for breakfast every single morning, 90-second oatmeal, and I'll put it in there, and as it goes down, I will open the microwave door with three seconds left on because even 90 seconds is still too long because I hate, I hate waiting. Like Whenever I'm at the grocery store, I'm always looking for the line with the least amount of people, and I will stand to the side, and I'll size up and count how many people and what's in their basket just so I don't have to wait in line at the grocery store. And I go to the under 20 line, and I'm looking at my basket. I'm like, one, two, three, four, seven, 36, basically the same. And then I'll go, I'll go to the less than 20 checkout line. And all of a sudden the person's in front of me, they go forever and they pull out coupons and they start handing out coupons and they're swiping their card. You ever been behind one of those extreme coupon people? Like, oh my gosh, at CVS, I will sit there for like 30 minutes waiting for this woman to get like 17 Tide Pods for two cents. And I'm like, how did you do that? I'm not even mad. I'm just interested. That's crazy. How did you do that? And so I'll be behind somebody and they're doing their coupons and then they pull out they pull out cash and I'm like who carries cash anymore and then she doesn't have enough cash so she pulls out a checkbook like there is nothing more annoying than an old lady with a checkbook unless they're writing ties to the church then praise the Lord for you (laughs) just remember all all donations today to the church will go to the hope women's resource clinic amen But I hate, I hate waiting. Anybody else like me, you just, you just hate waiting. Just hate waiting in line. That's, that's my life. That's my life story. That's where I find myself all the time. But what we discover through the Bible is this, is that the people that God does the greatest work through are people who had to learn the value of waiting. Abraham had to wait 99 years before he received the promise of his child. Moses had to wait 40 years walking and wandering through the, through the wilderness. Even the Lord Jesus, he had to learn how to wait. He didn't enter into public ministry until he was 30 years old. Do you think six-year-old Jesus had some things that he could have said or do? Do you think 18-year-old Jesus could have said or done or taught us a lesson or two? Do you think 29-year-old Jesus was rearing and, and was ready and he was waiting to go? But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, here's what the Father told him to do. Just be patient and wait. In our lives, we don't want to rush what God is doing. We don't want to force the hand of God. We don't want to get outside of God's timing. And so we need to learn how to be patient. But here's what I want to encourage you with today is this, that even while you are waiting, God is always working. Right now in your life, God is probably doing a million things and you might only be aware of two of them in your life right now. He's moving behind the scenes. He's setting you up for success. God is moving in the hearts and the minds of the people who are around you. As you're praying for your husband, God is moving in the heart of your husband. As you're praying for your wife, you may not see that, the, that anything is happening on the surface, but God is doing something underneath. It's in those times of waiting that God is doing his greatest work both in us, around us, and through us. God is working in the hearts of your boss or your employee. He's working in the hearts of government officials and those who have been elected. He's working through nations and generations. God is weaving a story for his glory and for your good all around you. And God is working and God is moving and God is active and God is setting you up for success. And even though you may not see it right now, there's a difference between what is happening and what is going on. And what's happened around you doesn't necessarily always show what's going on in the supernatural because God is working in your life, even when you find yourselves in those seasons of waiting. Anything worth having is worth waiting. And so if you want to have faith as God is working through you, you need to have faith that God is working in spite of you as well. First lesson we learn is this, is is to be patient. The second lesson we learn is this, is that we are to stay 
prepared. Look what it says in verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Here it says that an evil spirit began tormenting him. As the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, an evil spirit began to torment him. Some of you wonder, like, what does that mean? Here, here's what it means. As, as the spirit of the Lord departed, Saul, he had rejected God, turned his back, and basically he became anathema, or he, he became apostate, that, that he was no longer walking in the will of God. And so this evil spirit that is tormenting him is actually the judgment of God on his life. It's the passive wrath of God. He is experiencing a taste of what eternity is going to look like for him, even here in this very moment. And it is that passive wrath, it is the judgment of God for his rebellion that eventually drives him crazy. You say, is this possible? Okay, according to scripture, it is. And it's a very scary place for many people to be. And so while Saul is going crazy and mad, what we see is this, is that David... He's actually out in the fields, he is working, he is taking care of his father's sheep, and he is practicing his musical ability, and he is playing the lyre. Now, you think about David. He's the future king of Israel, and David's sitting in the fields, taking care of sheep and singing songs. But David never takes the attitude or the mindset that says, I'm the future king, I'm not going to go serve my father's sheep. I'm not going to go take care and scoop up all of this junk that's in there. Who do, you, do you know who I am? I'm David. I'm the future king of Israel. Here's my business card. Hit me up, futureking.com. That's not what David's doing. David's not walking around bragging. He's not saying, do you know who I am? I'm the future king. I am God's anointed one. I am the chosen one. He's not going up to his brothers and saying, God picked me, not you. God picked me, not you. Who did God pick? Not you, not you, not you, not you. God picked me. That's not what he's, he's doing. He's not walking around. That's what some people should, could do. Some people say, well, you know, I have it made. I'm not going to get down there and serve. I'm not going to take care of sheep. I'm not going to play this because, man, my life is so valuable and so important. I don't have time to, to handle these things. And whenever people find themselves in that situation in their life, they miss out on what God wants to do because, well, they don't have the attitude or the mindset to work hard and to prepare themselves for what God is going to do next in their life. See, many people, when they, when they find themselves in the season of waiting, they waste it. Don't waste your season of waiting. How, how do people waste their season of waiting? They're always waiting for something else to happen instead of preparing their heart, preparing their skills, preparing their ability in the meantime so that way God can set them up for something greater and better down the line. Don't waste your season of waiting. When you think about David, he's back there taking care of sheep. What is his future? He's going to be leader of the nation of Israel. If you can't lead sheep, you have no business leading people. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, the ones who are faithful with a little will be one day faithful with much. And if you can't take care of sheep, you're not going to be able to take care of people. But this is what David understands. I have to prepare myself today for what God wants to do in my life tomorrow. And so he spends his days taking care of sheep. I mean, what do you do with sheep? All you do with sheep is you take care of them, you lead sheep, you guide sheep, you feed sheep, right? You, you sing to sheep, you count sheep, you shear sheep. I mean, what else do you do with sheep? That's all he is. But David understood this. If I'm going to be a shepherd, I'm going to be the best shepherd that there is. And so David, he prepared himself to lead people by, by leading sheep. He, he talks about him playing his instrument as he's playing the lyre. He's out in the field. He's practicing his instrument. And what happens? Eventually, he begins to play in front of the king. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell, he says that it takes about 10,000 hours for a person to become a master at anything that they do. And so for about 10,000 hours, here's what David's doing. He's just sitting out in the field, just practicing his instrument and preparing his heart. Because one day, he's not going to be playing in front of sheep. One day, he knows he's going to be playing in front of kings. 
but he prepared himself. I'm glad that God sends us through a season of preparation in our life. I'm glad that, that for, for women, whenever you're pregnant, that baby comes out nine months later, not nine days later. Amen? Right, you need a season of preparation. You need to be able to get the house in order. You need to go into nesting mode and buy everything you can off of Amazon and make your husband put it together. Like He's going to need more than nine days to be able to set that nursery up, amen? And your husband, he needs to figure out nine months of him learning that he's not the most important person in the house anymore. All the ladies said, amen, right? I'm so grateful that there's seasons of preparation that a pastor doesn't get a church the moment that he graduates Bible college. Praise the Lord for that. I mean, we need time to be able to learn how to exegete the text, to study God's word, to develop a healthy prayer life. Young pastors, they need to learn how to set up chairs and scrub toilets for the glory of God. Young pastors, they, they need to go through inner healing and get over their father wounds and get punched in the mouth once or twice, spiritually, not physically. Nobody, nobody punched Trevor in the mouth, all right? But God is preparing him, why? So that way he could be a great pastor one day in his future. There's a, a preparation that we all need to go through. And if we just find ourselves in the fields and we get ungrateful and we don't practice an attitude of gratitude and a mindset of heaven, then what's going to happen is you're going to miss out on the opportunities that God wants to set you up because you're going to waste your waiting. Do not waste the waiting in your life. Instead, invest it and use it because every person that God used for greatness had to learn the value of waiting. So when life doesn't go as you plan, first thing is this, you be patient. Number two is you stay prepared. Number three says to work on your public image. Now, some of you are like, what, Pastor Byron, I thought you always told me that I shouldn't worry what other people think about me. Some of y'all should worry about what other people think about you. <laughs> Right? I see the stuff y'all post on social media. I'm like, ugh, she's, they should worry about that. I see the way that people, because here's the thing is that in your life, you're either leading people to Jesus or from Jesus. What kind of example are you setting in front of people? Because the way that our culture and our world is working right now is people are paying attention, not only to what you say, but they're also paying attention to the way that you live. Right? I can preach a sermon up here, but your life is a sermon at your job, in front of your kids, in front of your family. The way you live your life is the greatest sermon that you'll ever preach. And that is not with your words, but that is with your actions. For us, we need to have a mindset about what, what is our reputation? What do people think about us? What do people say about us? And when they say nasty, negative, or evil things about us, does it stick? You need to work on the reputation that we have. Look what it says here. It says this in verse seven. So Saul said to his servants, prepare for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and he is a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. David has a reputation. He's developed a public image. He has character, so much so that when the king is looking for someone to enter into his service, to play him uh, music that's going to soothe his soul and it's going to bring relief to him, a young man says, I know a guy. Do you know a guy? How many of y'all know a guy? We all know a guy who knows a guy, right? And so he's like, I need somebody who's going to come and do this. And it wasn't even a leader. It wasn't an official. It wasn't a governor. Who was it? It was just some young man who was in the palace. And he's like, oh, there's this guy that I know. He is skilled. He's a warrior. He's a man of valor. He's a man of great reputation. And he's a man of good presence. It was just someone who happened to be around them. But listen, let me just say, if you're acting one way in front of people who can get you something and you're treating other people differently, okay, that's not a good reputation to have. We don't treat people one way just because we can get something from them. That's not the character attitude that David had. David treated everybody equally and fairly, and because of his ability to honor others, God eventually exalted and honored him as well. It was the reputation that David had. And here's what I want you to know, especially for you, for you young leaders, especially for you young men. This is Mother's Day, so I'm going to teach you something that your mama taught you, but you weren't paying attention to. You ready? Talent will only take you places your character can keep you. A lot of people have great talent. They have great skills. They can sing well. They can play instruments. They could sell. They can 
be engineers. They, they can work hard. You can be able to do the task and you could be able to do the job. But at the end of the day, if people can't get along with you, then it's not going to go well for you. Because your, your talent will take you places, but it's only your character that is going to be able to keep you in that position. Talent will open the door, but it's character that's going to be able to keep you in that position. I remember when I was first starting out in ministry, I, I met a guy. He was the most talented person in any room that he was in. He could sing. He was a lot like David. He could sing well. He, he, had, he had the ability to be able to go far in life, to go far in ministry. He graduated from a better Bible college than I did. He was smarter than me. But whenever you got to know him, nobody around him liked him. And I remember sitting here with the one day, I said, you know what? It's really frustrating that the more I get to know you, the less I like you. <laughs> because he had talents, but he didn't have any character. And now here we are nearly 10 years later, he is no longer in ministry. Because his character couldn't keep him in the position that he was in. This is true for all of us in all of our lives. Leadership at every single level. It's not just ministry leadership, but it's also in our marriage. Men, your, your character is what's going to keep that relationship growing. For the wives, it's going to be your character within that relationship that's going to keep you and your husband united. It's for our kids. We got to teach our kids that character counts and character matters most. When we look at the society that we're in, here's what men and women need now more than ever before. We need men and women of character, of conviction, of compassion, without compromise. That's what our society is looking for. We're looking for men and women with character. We need, to, we need to be mindful of our reputation. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you 10 ways to help you develop your character, just lessons that I, I pull out from the life of David. The first thing is this, is, is just to be honest. Tell the truth. Mean what you say. Say what you mean. Tell the truth. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything else because it's the truth. If you're telling lies everywhere you go, guess what? You're always going to be frustrated and confused because you don't know what you told this person versus this person. Just tell the truth. I love the saying that says, you'll never go wrong by doing the right thing. Just tell the truth. Speak the truth. Speak life. The second thing is this, is to live with in uh, integrity. Character is who you are when nobody else is looking. David was the same person in the fields as he was in the palace. David treated the king the same way he treated the servant. J David treated Samuel the same way he treated Jesse, the same way he treated his brothers. Because he was the same person in the fields, he could be set up to be the same person in the palace. Character is who you are when no one is looking. Number three, keep your promises. If you say you're going to do something, just go ahead and do it. Just keep your word. Be a man of your word because at the end of the day, your word is all that you got. Keep the promises that you make to other people. Number four, honor authority. David wasn't going around saying like, I'm not going to listen to Saul. I can't believe Saul would do that. I don't want to be that. When I'm king, I'm not going to act like that. I mean, so he wasn't walking around like Simba. I just can't wait to be king. Like, no, he was honoring the authority that was above him the entire time. He wasn't trying to undermine Saul. He wasn't trying to undercut Saul. He wasn't trying to sway the hearts of the people or servants in the palace away from serving Saul. No, he would serve Saul for another 20 years. He honored the spiritual authority that was above him. And listen, there is a blessing that flows in your life when you honor the authority that God has placed over your life. Especially when it comes to honoring our mothers and fathers. Because this is the only promise that, this is the only command that comes along with a promise. There is a great beauty that comes when we honor the authority that is above us. Number, number five is to be responsible. Are you somebody that other people can trust? Can they count on you to, to handle the job? They called on, on, on David. Hey, we need David. And he comes in and he plays the lyre to so much success that he's actually invited into the king's service. He was somebody who was responsible. They could count on him. They could trust him. He wasn't going to dip out or flake on them. He was faithful. He was available. And he was responsible in his life. Are you responsible in your life? Do you take ownership of the opportunities that God has placed in front of you? Or do you blow them off? Do you, do you just shrug your shoulders? And do you just try to skate by by doing the bare minimum to be able to, to get by? David didn't live his life that way. No, he took ownership and he was responsible. Number six, pursue excellence. Do the best with what you can, when you can, as often as you can. Listen, perfection is unattainable. 
It's impossible. For those of you moms who have an unrealistic expectation of what it means to be a mother, just let me go ahead, take some pressure off you. You will never be a perfect mom, but that doesn't mean you can't be an excellent mom. For those of you at at your job, you will never be perfect at your job, but it doesn't mean that you can't be excellent at your job. We live in a society of authenticity. They say, I just need to be authentic. But the problem is most people use authenticity as an excuse to get by with shoddy work. We don't want to be just authentic for authentic sake. No, we want to pursue excellence in everything that we do. Colossians tells us that whatever we do, we want to do it as unto the, as unto the Lord. Listen, your boss, he might be able to sign your paychecks, but the Lord Jesus is your true boss. And when we work, we are not just working for that paycheck. We're working for a greater purpose by building the kingdom of God. So we want to pursue excellence. Here's what excellence says. Not perfection, but it's just you doing the best every single day with what you got. That's excellence. David, he pursued excellence. It says here that he was respectful. Listen, you don't have to agree with everyone. That's where, that's where our culture's got things so jacked up today. We're like, everybody has to agree with one another, and if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. Which means that you would also be wrong too, right? Because we don't have to agree to get, okay. That's the society that we live in, is that everybody just is so concerned and so focused on being right that they want to jump in comment sections and be able to argue and be able to assassinate other people's character just so that way they feel better about themselves. Hey, listen, here's a little secret, okay? People who try to make you feel bad, the only reason that they do that is to make themselves feel better. You know what you can do? You can just keep scrolling, okay? Just keep scrolling. You're like, I don't agree with that. Okay, I'm just gonna keep scrolling. I'm gonna keep scrolling. Just like the great philosopher Dory from Finding Nemo, just keep scrolling, just keep scrolling, just keep scrolling, just keep scrolling. But here, here recently, as many of you know, this is a very difficult for me right now in where I'm at in life. It's because with the, overtur- the possibility of overturning Roe versus Wade since 1973, 62 million babies have been aborted. And I jumped up and I, I said, I need to use my platform, my voice to be able to speak on this. And so I raised my voice and I've been able to speak and hundreds of comments attacking my character, attacking our church, criticizing us. I get it. People have different points of view, but that doesn't mean that we're not allowed to have our own point of view as well. And if you're going to advocate for your rights, then we want to be able to advocate for what we believe is right as well. Your vote counts just as much as everybody else's vote. And so we all get a say in this. And so I use my voice to be able to speak up for what I believe is one of the greatest injustices of our generation. And how many of you know the Holy Spirit doesn't just make you jump up and down and speak in tongues? Sometimes the Holy Ghost make you hold your tongue some, right? All right, sometimes the Holy Spirit, being spirit-led means you do not post that comment and you do not say what you're really thinking. Why? Because we, we still want to be respectful, right? We, we don't want to be offensive for offensive sake. If the gospel's offensive, it can do all the heavy lifting on its own. We just want to be able to speak the truth in grace and love and hope that the Holy Spirit will begin to transform and change people's minds. It's not an option for us to be silent, but that doesn't mean that we are to be rude. It doesn't mean that we're to be disrespectful. It doesn't mean that we're to attack other people because remember what the Bible teaches us is that we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against power, principalities, and rulers who are in heavenly places. It is the spirits of this age that have darkened the minds of the people in that comment section. And so we don't fight against people. No, we respect people. We love people. We are gracious towards people. But we always speak the truth, and we never compromise on what our convictions actually are. We need to be respectful as well. David, he was a respectful. Number eight, don't play favorites. Who got David in front of the king? It was just some young guy. But because David lived without partiality, God was able to exalt him to a place of leadership. Because he treated everybody equally. Listen, we treat people equal because that's what they are. We're equal. That God made us male and female, and he said that we are both made in his image and likeness. And so everybody has intrinsic dignity and value inside of them, and so they should be treated as such. We do not show partiality. We do not play favorites. We do not treat one person one way and another person another way. No, what we do is we value and we respect and we show kindness to everybody, no matter what they can give us. A king versus a servant. We still treat people fairly. So we don't play favorites. And then here's another way that you could develop your character is to be compassionate. Look at David. He was a worshiper. 
He played the liar, but also says he was a warrior. Right? How many, how many worshipers do you think about being warriors at the same time? Like most of the time, worshipers, that's just not their, that's just not their skill set. Like I said last week, their skinny jeans are too tight to be able to get that kick up to try to be a warrior. You're not thinking about musicians as people who are on the front lines of battle. But here's what we see is that he was a worshiper and he was also a warrior. This should give encouragement to the men in the room. See, a lot of times men, they're like, I'm not going to worship. That seems like something women do. Listen, <laughs> David, he was the greatest worshiper of all the Bible. And yet he also led an army of mighty men of valor. He took down giants. He founded the nation of Israel. I mean, David, he was a warrior. But at the same time, he never missed an opportunity to be able to worship God. David was a poet but he was also a prophet. David, he was tough, and he was also very tender. Men, you can be tough and you can be tender at the same time. You can be tough when it comes to protecting, providing, to speaking up against injustice, and you can also be tender when it comes to loving and to caring and to serving for your family. Jesus was known as the lion, but he was also known as the lamb. You can be tough and you can be tender. You can be compassionate without compromising. That's the society we live in. I thought you were supposed to be loving. I am loving. I'm loving you. I'm trying to love you by speaking the truth and standing up and being tough. But at the same time, I want to be compassionate. And at the same time, I would like to be tender. We need to be compassionate. We need men and women who are filled with compassion. And then lastly, number 10 is this. Choose your friends carefully. I love what Proverbs says. The one who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Right? Another way you could say it is if you hang out with losers, you're going to be a loser. Do, do I need to say that again? <laughs> so for some of y'all, that, that hit too close to home. You're like, ladies, if you're dating a guy and you can't get along with his friends, I'm just going to save you trouble. If you're dating a guy and you're like, I like him, he's got potential, but all of his friends are losers. The apple don't fall too far from the tree. Right? There's a reason why all those losers like him, probably because he's the king of losers. You're like, why do I keep dating the same guys? Why do you keep going to the same places? Like, you, you, I mean, right? If you don't like what you're getting, check the bait that you're using. Right? You keep, if you walk with fools, you're going to be a fool. Because you are, your life is the sum, the sum total of the three closest people near you. David understood this. He's like, I'm not going to hang out with people who aren't going places. I'm going to spend my time with people who are going to lift me up, who are going to encourage me, who are going to bless me, and who are going in the same direction that I'm going in my life. You need to choose your friends carefully. One of my favorite quotes is this, show me your friends and I will show you your future. If you look around, who are you surrounding yourself with? Who's encouraging you? Who's lifting you up? Who's valuing you? Who's speaking into you? What are you listening to? Are you surrounding yourself with people who can both encourage and also bring conviction? Do you have people in your life who can tell you you're wrong and you're going to listen to them, but they're not only just going to judge you, but they're going to help walk you through the life change that you know is what's right and best for you? Who do you spend your time with? And I can guarantee you, the more time you spend with people, the more you're going to eventually become just like the people you spend time with. This is how we develop the character in our lives. You want to develop character? We need to be mindful of the public reputation, the public image that we have, because people are watching, especially in this day and age. Every move that we make and every post that you post on social media, you better believe that people are watching because your life is a witness lived out before a lost and dying world. The way you live your life for some people will be the only sermon they'll ever hear. They may not ever walk through the doors of redemption, but you have an opportunity with your life to be able to share the gospel with them. So we need to have a good reputation and be men and women of strong character. The fourth thing is this. We see that to get rid of our pride. Here's how it it goes in verse 21. And David came to Saul and he entered into his service and Saul loved him greatly and he became an armor bearer and Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And when the harmful spirit of God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and he played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed from him. Look at verse 21. It says that he came into David, uh, Saul's what? Service. 
He became a servant. The future king, what does he spend his time doing? He spent time serving others. We see a, a portrait of our Lord Jesus in this. The book of Philippians says that, that Jesus, though being God, very God, humbled himself, entered into human history, and he took on the form of a servant. Although he was the king, Jesus says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus also said it like this. He said, the greatest in the kingdom are those who serve. The kingdom of God places a high value and priority on service. And this goes against everything that our world teaches. Our whole world teaches that pride and self-esteem are actually a good thing. That you need, to, you need to, to put yourself first and you need to think about yourself and what's in it for me and what can I get out of it and, and everybody just thinks throughout life, what's in it for me? What about my life? What about my wants? What about my needs? Me, 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 me. And that's not what the gospel actually teaches. The gospel teaches us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and begin to follow after him. That means we need to get rid of the pride that is inside of our hearts. Listen, we live in one of the most narcissistic entitled generations in the history of the world where people, they just think the world revolves around them all of the time. What about me? What about my life? What about my pressures? What about my desires? Listen, what about you? Maybe nobody's ever said that to you before. You're not the only one in this world who has a hard time. You're not the only one whose life didn't turn out the way that you planned. We're all in this life together. Everybody's got trauma. You're not special. <laughs> People be posting, my trauma. Oh, okay, cool. Well, get in line and take a number. Go see a therapist and start compl stop complaining about it to everybody else. Handle your business. You're not special. We all hurt. We all have pain. We all have problems. You expect everybody to bow down to you just because you're having a bad day? Life didn't go like planned for me either. <laughs> Am I just getting too, too real right now? Okay. But here's what I, here's what I want you to recognize is this. If you, you need to stop focusing on yourself and start serving someone else. Right? When, if all you do is look at your life, you're going to find all of the imperfections in yourself. If you spend all day staring at a mirror, guess what? You're going to point out everything that is wrong in your life. But if you get your eyes off of the mirror and you start focusing on the people who are near to you, then you're going to be able to bless them, serve them, care for them. And all of a sudden, you're going to experience this thing you never had in life. It's called joy. It's called joy because you're living your life for something that is greater and bigger than just yourself. Stop focusing on yourself and start serving everyone else. And everybody who serves, who blesses, who cares, who meets the needs of other people, whether through time, talents, or their generosity, here's what I can tell you. Those who take care of others tend to be the most joyful people that I've ever met in my life. Do you, do you know why? Because they found the secret to joy. Do you know what joy spells? Joy spells this, J-O-Y, right? Jesus, others, yourself. That's, that's the order that our life is to be in. You want to you be, be able to find true joy, full, full meaning, even when life doesn't go as planned, put Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's how we spell joy. Jesus even says it like this. Jesus says, love God, love people, love yourself. When you learn to love God and others, that's when you learn to love yourself. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. And here's the reason why so many people are miserable, because they don't have joy, they got yoge. <laughs> yourself, others, and Jesus. That's why your life is miserable, because you got a case of the yoge. Like, I think there's a cream for that. Aisle six at CVS. Hope you don't get behind the lady with the checkbook. <laughs> You're like, ah, oh, I got the yoge. Come down front, let the prayer team lay hands on you. <laughs> But you got to get rid of the pride that is in your life. Instead, humble yourself a little bit and put others before yourself and take time to serve one another. The lastly, number five is this. It says to spend time in God's presence. As we call the worship team up, we're going to close out with this verse in verse 18. 
One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence. And then lastly, he says this, And the Lord is with him. I want you to know that even though life hasn't turned out the way that you planned, God has never forgotten you. It says the Lord was with him. He's overlooked by his family. But the Lord was still with him. He wasn't even invited. But God saw that he was still invaluable. For the Lord was still with him. He was playing in the fields. His only friend were sheep. And yet God never forgot him. God never abandoned him. God never forsake him. And it says here that the Lord was with him. Maybe right now you find yourself in a place where you feel forgotten. You feel abandoned. God, what happened to the plans that you had for me? I thought Jeremiah 29, 11 said, For I know the plans that I have for you, said the Lord. They're good and not of evil, that you might have a purpose. Do you remember those plans? Because right now I feel like I'm out in the fields. Like my life doesn't count, it's invaluable, I'm suffering, it's taken forever. I thought I was supposed to be the king and I'm still a shepherd boy. I'm still in the fields. Here's what I want you to know, is that when you are in the fields, you are not forgotten. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro, looking for those whose hearts are inclined towards him. Why? So that he might bless you. God sees you in the fields. Even when you feel invisible, God, he sees you. Even when you feel like you're going unnoticed, God, he notices you. He sees you out there. He sees you being patient. He sees you preparing your heart. He sees you working on your character in season, in the circumstances, in the pain, in the problems. God has not forsaken you. In fact, God is with you. You, when you're in the field, some of you, that's where you're at right now. You say, ah, but I'm, I'm in the fields. I thought my life was going to go one way, and it's taking a completely opposite direction. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know where I'm at. I want you to know God is still with you. He has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. And I wonder what was David doing in those fields? As he's sitting there in the fields, alone, taking care of sheep, playing his lyre, developing his skills and character. I have to wonder if somewhere out in those fields, David wrote Psalm 23 where he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It was in the painful days, the dark days, the difficult days of David's life that he spent time in the presence of God. And it's through those times in the presence of God he experienced the goodness of God. And today, because of those moments in the fields, me and you are blessed by just hearing his heart and what God had began to work and speak in his life. So here's my last word of encouragement for those of you is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, don't stop. You say, but I, I never planned my life to be this way. Hey, your life is not over yet. There's still time on the clock. There's still time for God to change things, to, to work in you, to, to shape you, to mold you. If you're not dead, God's not done. And so when you're going through the valley of death, don't stop. Keep moving forward. Keep pressing on. Keep persevering. If you're going through the valley, don't stop. And if your life hasn't gone the way that you planned, you're in really good company. Because we all find ourselves in that same place a time or another. So here's my encouragement for you, church is even though life may not have gone according to your plan, trust and believe that God has a great plan for your life as well.